0: From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron, the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now, here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki.
1: Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today as we always are, whether you're on the U.S. West Coast or in Arizona, where I am, you're sipping a cup of coffee, and I'll try not to do it while I'm talking, the U.S. Central Time Zone, where our guest is, and you're wrapping up the morning, you're in Europe, ending your work day you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of this show someday in the future, I know you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you're listening to the archive, let's say in 2020 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show might have helped you improve your lifestyle and wealth by listening in June of 2015. Now, on the Wealth DNA radio show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing, providing great ideas for building your wealth, and today... We'll focus on the starting point, what you have to do so you can start investing. You see, a lot of people never get there, and this show doesn't help them in most of the the shows we do. So today, we will be helping those people get started. Now, many years ago, I included the four correct responses to the often asked question, when's the best time to invest? And the fourth response I it to, uh, Sir John Templeton, one of the true gentlemen and pioneers of the mutual fund industry. If you remember that show, Sir John's response to the question, when is the best time to invest, sounded like the punchline to a joke. His response, when you have money. And yet that is indeed a profound introduction to today's topic, since people who don't have money saved can't invest. It's that simple. Now, regular listeners know that we like to start each show by sharing a quote to set the tone for today's show, and I guess you could say Sir John Templeton's is one of those, but let me, I picked two very different quotes, one humorous, the other more serious, both appropriate for our topic. The first, I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford, then I want to move in with them. Let me repeat that. I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford. Then I want to move in with them. The quote is from Phyllis Diller. Now the second quote, which I'm sure our guest will like, "A budget tells us what we can't afford, but it doesn't keep us from buying it." Yes, a budget doesn't. uh, I mean, budget does tell us what we can't afford, but it doesn't help us keep us from buying it. Let me try that uh, third time. No, I think you got it. The quote is from William Feather. Worth worth looking up. Worth keeping in mind. Today is Monday, June eighth, two thousand fifteen. It is nine oh three in Arizona, eleven oh three AM in the central time zone, where our guest is. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll be doing everything possible to make a great one. And you can hear our guest has joined us. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at nine A.M. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with the Ronald Put together as a single word. Now, we'd like to thank our sponsors today, BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area for helping us put together and share this information with you. Hopefully, many of their clients will tune in. I certainly hope you can join us each time we are, but if you miss a show, <clears throat> like excuse me, like our series on financial literacy that we had, you can find them on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna. Dot Us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archive. I'm still having some difficulty finding some of those archive shows on our new website, but they're there, and we'll keep improving the site. And of course, you can always ask me where that show is, or to find ones on certain topics for you. And uh, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player, and uh, my producer has put that up. But, of course, I didn't have it ready, so I can keep an eye on it. So uh, there we are. Uh, nope, I still need to refresh. Okay, hopefully I will have my chat window up here, but uh, I understand that it is. The other way is you can call in, and our producer will share your question or comment with us. Call in number 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the internet screen. And then you just dial a one. And that will take you to our producer. Since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are a smidgen lower. That's one of those technical terms we use around here. And today, the U.S. Equ- equity market's off to a negative start. Asia was up. Europe, which is closed, was down. And Brazil is up. That's a mixed world, isn't it? Our guest today to discuss Afford the Good Life is Richard Melanson, a certified pub- public accountant, business consultant, and professional speaker. He works closely with individuals to minimize their tax bills and help them manage their personal finances. Richard's speaking engagements are based on personal experience working with groups and individuals and uh Those people are generally ready, eager to solve their core issues, and that's what we hope our listener audience is as well. Richard Melanson is also the author of three books, the one we'll focus on today, You Can Afford the Good Life. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Richard Melanson. Welcome, Richard, and I hope I'm not butchering your name in the process. Thank you for
2: joining us today. Uh, good morning, Ron, and good morning to you, all of your listeners as well. Now you, you're fine on the pronunciation. All right, but you, why don't you spell it for us just to make
1: sure that people have it correctly in front of them. So later on when we get to websites and stuff like that, it's going to be important they know the spelling.
2: Okay, it's a French name. It's spelled M as in Mary, E-L-A-N as in Nancy, C-O-N as in Nancy.
1: That's interesting. You you do the right thing by, by mentioning what the uh, the letters, the N's and stuff. Whenever I pronounce or I spell my name, people want to put M's in instead of N's. It must be the way I pronounce it, mm-hmm. N's. So uh, you're absolutely right, obviously, you're doing a lot of public speaking. Now, I gave a brief overview of your, your background. If you're at a cocktail party, how do you introduce yourself?
2: Well, since most people have an idea in their mind about what a CPA does, I start with saying that I'm a CPA. But more importantly, I say that I help people achieve their dreams with their current income potential. So for those people who are Mm -hmm. already in financial crisis at the party, well, they feel that they have the ultimate challenge for me, and so they, they engage me in conversation. And then I have an opportunity to show how the concepts in the book, You Can Afford the Good Life, can apply to their lives, apply to their lives today and every day in the future, and that they have a choice to improve where they are when they're ready to commit. Now, for other people in the party that are already in the wealth-building mode, well, they understand that money doesn't provide happiness. They also know that money can allow you to find the joy and fulfillment in achieving your goals.
1: Okay. Fair enough, but there seems to be a dichotomy in your background, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. I'm going to say you're a CPA and a professional speaker. How can you be both? You see, some people joke that the definition of an extroverted accountant is one who looks at your shoes when they're talking to you.
2: (laughs) Well, when you look at the character traits of a CPA and and professional speakers, there are similarities in the goals, but not in the implementation.
0: Mm -hmm. Speakers and
2: CPAs want to help others first. And speakers and and CPAs generally have great skills in their selected knowledge base. And speakers and CPAs are always ready to share their information when they think it helps other people to achieve their personal goals. Now, I was blessed in my transition from CPA to speaker because it wasn't that difficult um, meeting people, talking to people, and giving advice. For me, speaking with one person is the same as speaking to a thousand Once you know your core truth, then the message is the same, always.
1: Okay, fair fair point. I mean, it's just uh, very often we kind of associate a certain personality with the CPA, and that's obviously what I'm picking on that stereotype. But all kidding aside, what percentage of your time is on doing the accounting-type work and the CPA? Obviously, CPA is accounting-related. Business consulting and speaking, which, of course, interviews like today count in that speaking uh, engagements.
2: Well, that depends on the time of the year, not the day of the week. So from January to April, I'm really focused on (laughs) tax planning and prep. Fair point. So, you know, obviously other activities fit into the schedule, but they're not the priority at the beginning of the year. Now, Mm -hmm. after tax season, I'm a lot more free to pursue speaking engagements, working with individuals for their personal money management plans, and also working with businesses who want to be more profitable. So. I have challenges and success points throughout the year, and I am never bored. Okay.
1: All right. That's, you know, obviously, uh, again, a very good answer. And somewhere my notes have gotten out of whack here because I got a whole pile of questions. There we go. They just get stuck together. My apologies. Uh, what inspired you? You're a CPA, and you're writing about being able to afford the good life. Now it seems that your clients already can afford it since they're, you know, they have enough money to to bring on a CPA to do their their, their taxes. Um, you know, what what inspired
2: you? Well, actually, a friend inspired me to write the book. Um, I wanted to write a book on business. And I talked to a friend who was also an author at the time. And she suggested that I write a book for individuals who are in financial crisis. This was in 2009. So for the people who had lost their wealth after 2008, after the big market crash, she Mm -hmm. said those people are just, they're just overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. So I thought about it, and I I agreed. And like many authors, I didn't know where to start. So I sat down on my computer one day, and I thought about it. And what I started with was the question, why have people become overextended? Why do they look at their credit cards, their mortgage, and their spending patterns as just an unlimited source of of wealth that they never have to worry about meeting? And that's where the book started. I realized that the fault was really not with the individuals trying to live the American dream. It was really that the American dream had been hijacked by the marketers who really have made it almost the american nightmare wow
1: well said boy we're we're in sync on that one but before we dig into some of those specifics but i'd love to jump down that topic would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you learn more about the you the books you've written as well as your cpa and business consulting practices
2: Oh, thank you. Um, The books are available on Amazon.com. They're also Mm -hmm. available in in the Kindle format. Or they can visit my website and order the books directly through the website. And the website is www.ramcpa.com. So my name is Richard A. Melanson, so it's R-A-M and then C-P-A, R-A-M-C-P-A.com. And And if they want to email me with a specific question, Mm-hmm. If they have a specific question, they can email me at Richard at RAMCPA.com.
1: Okay, so you solve the problem of people being able to spell your last name. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Which in your part of the country isn't isn't so hard, but uh, you know most of the, most Americans aren't uh, used to a French name. So um, definitely definitely good. So RAMCPA.com and of course Richard at. Good. Now you mentioned right. the book was written in 2009, so it's been a few years. Have you received some letters thanking you for helping people get on, get back on track?
2: Uh, absolutely. Um, I've had I've had people come back and tell me that that um, the book made sense. The book was an easy read. Um, they couldn't okay. figure out why they hadn't thought of uh, that same approach before, and that they were so appreciative of how I laid out the tips and the techniques and and the whole process of just looking at what is the problem, what is the solution, and where do we go next?
1: Okay. Now, on one hand, one of our, a lot of our listeners are either already enjoying the good lo- life or, or are well on their way to achieving it. Are there some lessons in the book for them as well?
2: Absolutely. So, if you're in a wealth-building stage, I think the core truths of the of the book are, are relevant. Um, you you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. You have to prioritize and focus on your important goals and ignore the rest as noise. And obviously, I'm sure that you've said this many times, money does not buy happiness. Personal fulfillment comes from achieving your high-priority goals. And when you live the good life, you can inspire others to follow the path that you have in your life. Let them be as successful as you are, and they become your new peer group. And this can be your legacy, your legacy as a leader, and and someone who inspires others to live the good life. And the last thing is, when you're not in control of your money, then someone else is in control of your happiness. If you can remember that, you really are motivated. You will be motivated to to move forward, change from the, the destructive mode, and really take a look at where you want to go and achieve it. Hmm. okay
1: and actually uh, on that topic a couple times we've had, uh, had we've asked our guests you know how they'd finish the sentence uh, that uh, money doesn't uh, bring happiness and then you know continue that uh, and we've shared a number of of, of good responses uh, the, the, the shirt I'm wearing today says is from Fred Adler uh, it says uh, happiness is a positive cash flow so yes if you define happiness as a positive cash flow uh, money does help <laughs> there's no doubt about it uh, now we have to actually really uh, let me, rather asking your target audience, it's really your friend that inspired this book, uh, who did they envision as the person, the real target audience for this book?
2: There are actually two target audiences for the book. The okay. first are the people who are in financial crisis, who want to change, who want to improve their, mo- their money management abilities. And the second audience are about people who know someone who's in financial crisis who need just a third-party independent message. When you're talking to people you know, sometimes you're not, you're not the person that has the most credibility because remember the saying, no man is a prophet in his own land? Yep. So when you have somebody else giving the message that you want to give in a different way, using different words, then it has credibility for the listener.
0: And so the oh, first well, market so.
2: is people who are in financial crisis. The second mm-hmm. market is for people who know somebody in financial crisis who need an additional message to um, help motivate them.
1: Well, wow. and you know that's. I'm just going to right away go down that path a little bit and remind our listeners that one of the best ways to help people out when you hear shows like this is to uh, is to forward uh, the link to the show. It's easy for them to then listen from the archive, and that gives them the the lead to say, "Hey, there's the book I want to pick up." And of course, at the end, I'll remind our listeners to. Uh, to share that message and also um, maybe even get that book for somebody in a uh, financial crisis and say, hey, you know, I was uh, thinking about you when I read this book, and here it is. So you're absolutely right on that we're to blame when we have friends who are in financial problems, and it's not because we're not lending them money or giving them money to, to help them out. It's because we're not necessarily giving them the right advice. Um, and the other thing I do mention, which uh, you, you probably do occasionally as well, is you don't want to take financial advice from people who aren't wealthier than you are. So often we get financial <laughs> advice from people who are uh, struggling financially, telling us what we should do. You know, and and uh, just don't don't listen. I don't listen to my electrician tell me how to fix a plumbing problem either. So. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> go to the person that knows what they're doing. So, uh, well said. I, Absolutely, I, you know, totally support that. Now, from your experience, uh, what do you see as the key reason or reasons why people get into financial difficulty?
2: Well, the first reason is that they really have many people have not been taught proper money management techniques um, that traditionally had come from parents and teachers. And I think we've moved away from that you know, in raising our children. I mean, uh, we are so fortunate to live in a land of wealth where you can have whatever uh, whatever you want by going to the store and picking it off the shelf as long mm-hmm. as you can afford it. And so um, parents really, truly want the best for their children, and they try not to uh, uh, focus on the negative parts of life. So... I think the first thing that we fail have have failed to do is to teach our children good money management techniques. The second reason is that people are trained to keep up with their peers. They're, mm-hmm. they're led to believe that if my friends are spending money, then we have to spend money to be liked. And in this politically correct world where everybody is equal, we're you know we're told that we all have to have the best of everything. And the fact is that we're not equal. Some people have inherited wealth. Some people have high-paying jobs. Some people have talent that leads to high, high income. And it's not that we're equal. It's that we all have an equal opportunity, and that's where we need to focus. We all have unique characteristics. We all have unique talents and insights. And so we all have opportunities to live a successful life. So um, you know, the third reason is that the messages from the marketers are designed to separate us from our money, and, and, and they wind up redirecting us from our true goals. You think about the advertisements, the display signs, the in-store demonstrations. Why are they there? To separate us from our money so that it gets redirected to the sponsoring organizations. So um, you have to take control of your money. You have to take responsibility for where you want to be And you do that by taking advantage of the opportunities that you have available to you. And we all have opportunities available to us. We may not be able to see them at first. Sometimes we have to look. Sometimes we have to seek advice on where to find them. But we all have opportunities to succeed. We just have to step up to the plate and grab them.
1: Yeah, I'll even emphasize your, your very first point on the on the parents. Uh, besides being able to buy anything we want if you can afford it in the store, the problem with the credit system is it allows us to buy things we can't afford as well, and we don't know about that until it's um, you know the bill comes, uh, and that is Absolutely. that is you know it accentuated the problem of of, of uh, parental guidance, if you will. But let me take the moment to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on www wealthdna.us if you'd like get an email reminder of the show send an email to me ron at wealthdna.us we'll keep you posted about future shows and events or you can follow the ronald no spaces on uh, twitter or facebook now during the radio show we welcome you our listeners to ask questions easiest to start a chat in the area below the radio player or call in 917-388-4162 also shown at the top of the screen and then just dial 1 to reach the producer our topic today is afford The Good Life, which we're discussing with Richard Melanson, a CPA, business consultant, and professional speaker, author of three books, the first of which we're talking about today, You Can Afford the Good Life. Now, Richard, for many people, including many of the clients who work with our sponsor, they see that the month lasts longer than their paychecks. How is the good life possible for them?
2: Well, it's a step-by-step approach. First step is to define your needs. What is it that you have to spend every month, Uh, things like rent, utilities, food. Once we define our basic costs each month, then we need to determine how much money we have coming into our account every month. The difference between what we have coming in and what we have to spend on required expenses is our discretionary income. And so we have the option with that amount of money to spend, to invest, or to allocate now, if the difference is negative, that means that we're living a lifestyle that is beyond our income. So you have to change your lifestyle, increase your income, or get help with your monthly expenses. So some quick solutions, move to a smaller apartment, get a second job or a higher-paying job, or look for a roommate to reduce your monthly expenses. Now, there are other ways, so these are not the only three ways. And mm-hmm, in sure. the book, You Can Afford a Good Life, we, it's filled with techniques to reduce your expenses while you continue to live a happy and fulfilled life.
1: All right, but very often before we think about going through those steps, uh, it's kind of human nature we look for a scapegoat, an excuse, somebody to blame. I assume one of the top reasons or the top things mentioned is is the one whose fault it is I don't have enough discretionary income is the employer who just doesn't pay enough or the landlord who charges too much for this lousy place. Uh, What other stories do you hear uh, as reasons to not want to do that work?
2: Now, a few of the more common statements I, I hear, it's too hard to get ahead. Nobody understands that I'm trying my best. I can't look for a job while I'm working, and if I stay at my job, I can't make it. Or my friends seem to be okay, and I'm not doing anything different. What's wrong with my life? When you listen to these people, they're in financial crisis, so they're overwhelmed, frustrated, and they really believe that they're doing their best. So, of course, they're looking for the reason their problems continue, and if they think that they're doing their best, then the problem must be somebody else, such as their employer's pay scale or the landlord's rent schedule or the dress shop's price tags. The real problem is that people who are in financial crisis who want to improve lack just the knowledge, the techniques, the, the experience to improve their money management practices. But once they see a solution, then they become empowered, empowered. They can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and they know it 's possible in change, possible to improve and eliminate that stress so blaming somebody else for your problems eh, that can be a sign of immaturity, and if it's lacked, uh, if it 's combined with lack of responsibility, then it 's it 's a personal problem, but um, immaturity often comes with a lack of understanding and a lack of guidance on what is the right thing to do so in my book you can 't afford the good life that 's my attempt to help people overcome. Their lack of skills in the area of money management, and once they see that they have power to succeed, most people will try and eliminate the crisis and take responsibility for their happiness.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Well, well said. And, and in essence, your book is kind of built around that plan of, of defining the needs, uh, some of the must bends kinds of things. You know, the, the the things that absolutely have to be paid if we want our electricity and those kinds of things. Um, and and the discretionary income. Now, in in those must-spends, do you give them some guidance around rethinking whether they really must do them. I, mean, I the thing I look at of why people can't pay their uh, their monthly payments or things like uh they're paying to you know 160 for uh, for television expense or they're spending 120 on their on their uh, uh cell phones uh including the 200 to buy it in the first place uh whereas uh, you know the one I use cost me about 10 bucks a month uh you know are those kinds of things you mentioned there as well
2: there are many tips like that throughout the book okay. And some of those some of those tips are just starting points because it truly is up to the person to define what is their priority, what is it that they want, what is it that they need, and what is it that they want to plan for. In the book, I try not to provide my concept of what is, what is uh, the right purchase or what is the right amount of spending. It's really up to the person. They have to be responsible for where they are and where they want to be. So in the book... I'd kind of tell them, just set the priorities. Tell me, uh, write down on a sheet of paper, what is it that you need to meet each month? And if that is higher than your income, then we need to redefine how you meet those needs. For example, if your rent is too high for your income, you need to take a a roommate or you need to move to a smaller place to live. Um, The second thing is to define your income. People don't think about how much they're going to make this whole month they think about how much money do they have in their pocket right now when they're in financial crisis. It's really difficult to plan ahead when you're stressed and overwhelmed. So the, the future is just such a far-reaching goal that it, it seems unattainable. So you ha- they have to sit down and really think, really put a lot of effort into setting priorities and defining their income. And then once they see that they truly do have some discretionary income, they have to decide if they're going to spend it, invest it, or allocate it. And once you're on the path, you can't let other people redirect you from your goals. And once they see, once your friends, your peers, people around you see that you're committed, then they can take your lead or, and, and they can change their lifestyle as well. And if they try to redirect you from the path and that's something that you really want to be on, then you have to decide whether or not they have your best interests at heart.
1: Okay. Now, one of the things, when you mention uh, this, uh, what do I need to spend, it sounds like you're suggesting something that's high on most people's fear or dread list, developing a budget. Um, So what you're saying is that really is critical.
2: Well, it is. Um, And the most threatening part of a budget is getting started, because most Mm -hmm. people have never seen a simple budget that fits their lifestyle. And there are a lot of potential challenges to creating a budget. The second difficulty is following a budget that, because people feel it constrains their lifestyle. Uh, you might hear them say, oh, I can't buy that because it's not listed in my budget, or my budget says that I can't afford that new outfit because I have to pay my car note. Well, in the book, You Can't Afford the Good Life, it shows you how to handle these and other challenges when you're building a budget. It gives a method of including variable commissions, how to handle year-end bonuses, um, what you can do to uh, adjust your, your income level, your, ex, your expense level. What are some of the free options you have in every city uh, rather than spending money for entertainment? Uh, how can you get the most out of your paycheck just by spending quality time with your friends instead of always going out to the show where, or places where you have to spend money? So the personal budget has to evolve as our life continues. And the book shows them how the budget is a living, breathing tool that they use to track the successes, to measure the successes of their of their life as they go through all the various stages of living. Because we start with children, and we wind up with retirement age. And in between, we get married, we have careers, and we have um, uh, adjustments.
1: Okay, but... On the other hand, I'd use the analogy of weight loss, since everybody's kind of always, you know, that's, it's one of the most common New Year's, New Year's resolutions out there, right? Uh, or improving our health, which is probably the more important uh, resolution or thing we should focus on. It does require some work and discipline, so that putting that budget together and then putting it in a drawer isn't going to work either. What, it, it, it's kind of like changing our diet or our exercise. It does require us to kind of establish it and then go through a little bit of pain to readjust uh, what we're doing, I, am I uh, on base there?
2: Well, uh I don't want to focus on the pain because that's a, a really negative part of uh looking at this process. Uh think about uh that you think about changing your attitude toward your reality. When you do that, um it doesn't have to be a negative uh change, it can be a positive change. And we can stay with the uh, uh comparison to a, a diet. Um mm-hmm. you can't live without food. Uh, but too much food makes you unhealthy. You can't live without money, but excess money doesn't make you more happy. It doesn't make you happier. So it's all about using what you have to achieve what's important to you. And life gives us many different types of food, and each one serves a different purpose. Well, similarly, life gives us many opportunities to find the money that we need. We can get a job. We can get promoted. We can build a career. We can start a business. So... There's lots of different tools out there, lots of different paths. You need to pick one, stay on it, and then enjoy the ride. Our goal is to achieve our priorities. Now, we have to achieve our priorities in an honest and ethical manner. But once we're successful, we can be a model for others to follow. And then our peers will not prevent us from achieving our goals, and they may emulate us to achieve their goals. Then we're all happier.
1: All right, so I think I've just picked up a tip if if I'm trying to help somebody uh, improve their uh, their financial situation rather than focusing on a sacrifice I might want to focus more on priority. Uh it's not that you have to give up some of uh you know some of the purchases you're doing it's really is that purchase more important than uh having a, uh, a you know a comfortable place to live or is it more important than having a car and uh, buying that and then taking the bus and so it's really more on the priorities rather than trying to focus on the sacrifice which most of us uh that have been successful uh tend to think that we've made some sacrifices what you're trying to do is turn it into a positive light and that sounds very good
2: Absolutely. So that's the old uh, saying: is, is a, uh, a glass that's filled halfway, uh, and, and its contents half full or half empty. If you have a negative attitude toward life, it's half empty. If you have a positive attitude toward life, it's half full, and you've already met half of your goals, and the rest of life is ahead to enjoy.
1: Right. Right. Well. Okay. Well. Well said. Uh, because, you know, so often people say, but, you know, if I'm going to have the good life later uh, and I'm going to give up the good life now, I can't have those extras I want or I can't keep up with the, the Joneses next door uh, and, and, and buy those things. Uh, you know, I don't want to give up that sacrifice. I want the good life now and, and the, you know, I'll worry about the future later. Uh, you're really saying uh, is the, so you're saying is, so you're saying kind of focus on the priority of what has to be today and how about your future. It's It's really priorities both ways.
0: Right.
2: And remember, buying less doesn't mean having less. How many times mm-hmm. have you heard okay. people buy something, and then a week later they're still complaining that they don't have anything? So, so buying more doesn't make you happier automatically. You have to buy the things that make you happy. It's all about what you have and how you use it to achieve your priorities. And it's all about achieving your priorities that make you successful. So stop thinking about what you don't have. Start enjoying what you have available to you now. Um, And if you do that, once you have a positive attitude toward life, you're going to find that you have a lot more resources, a lot more opportunities, and a lot more activities to attend in your life. Uh, I see people giving up cable and telephone lines and fast food once they start to volunteer or become active in a religious Mm -hmm. group or social organization because now they have something that is fulfilling to them. And so that's what you need to look at. Look at the positive
1: way. Well, very very well said. I like I like the approaches. I'm kind of, kind of changing my thinking. Of course, I'm going to get uh, make sure that my wife listens to this and uh, that uh, she would <laughs> copy of the book as well. So I'm uh, I'm picking up some tips, and of course she's going to hit me on the head eventually when she does hear that comment. But uh, you know I, I I like that, and uh, I'll even go back to your analogy for a second because sometimes when you step back and help others, uh, you know, and take on that kind of grateful attitude, then uh, you know your half your half empty half full glass. Uh, well, you first of all step back and say, I'm grateful to have a glass, and I'm grateful that there's something in it. Uh changes your perspective from, uh, you know, it's it's half gone and all of those things, which uh, so many people think of. So I, I do like the idea of prioritizing. I like the idea of, of uh, you know, trying to accomplish the, these things without calling it a sacrifice, looking at other ways to accomplish the same. Great, great ideas. What are some of the other concepts in
2: the book? Um, some of the other concepts are tips to teach your children about money management that are age appropriate. So okay. we look at money differently as we go through life. Uh, children do not need to plan for the future, so whatever money they have, they can spend immediately. If they want something that's larger than their allowance, then they could save a portion of their allowance every week until they build up enough to to buy whatever it is that they want. When we're young adults, uh, we tend to start looking at larger purchases. And so we are starting our life. We have a lot of uh, daily expenses that we didn't have when we were living at home. So we have to readjust the way we manage our money. Once we, get start, once we get married, we now have the goals of the family that become a priority over the goals of the individual. And it really changes the way we look at money as a resource. Are we spending it for the benefit of the family, not are we spending it because I want this? So as you go through life, your, uh, your view of money changes dramatically. The book also shows how you can change your priorities through life. Uh, When you're a young adult, buying your first house is important. But when you're uh, well-established in your career, buying other things such as a a boat or a second home or an RV become a a priority because you've achieved your uh, your other goals earlier on in years talks about the challenges of reconciling the needs of the family with the personal needs. How do you do that? How do you move from being an individual to being uh, a member of of a married couple and then having children and being uh, in charge of of, uh, a whole family? So how do you change that perspective um, and still achieve um, your sense of independence, your sense of fulfillment? And then it talks about the four acceptable types of debt and why others are purely discretionary, much to the contrary of public thinking. So my idea of the four types of acceptable debt are debt for a house, debt for a car for you and your spouse, debt for extended education for you and your spouse, and emergencies. All the other debt is discretionary. And if you recognize that, then if it is your priority to to save enough money to put your children through school, that becomes one of your priorities, but that's not the only way for your children to be educated. There are many other paths, scholarships, work-study work-study programs, and, and other ways. So uh, people look around at their peers and, and take their cues from people they know, and that's not always the best approach for each individual. You have to create your own path, and so you have to know what is, what is your own truth and what is your own priority.
1: All right, I want to dig into a lot of these topics in a little bit more detail. But before we do that, in case somebody just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth D&A Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, you can find the archives on www. WealthDNA.us. Today, our guest is Richard Melanson, CPA, business consultant, professional speaker, author of three books, including You Can Afford the Good Life, which is our topic today. Now, if you did just tune in, you'll want to go back to the beginning of the show soon after we finish. The same link will take you to that archive. Our producers really make it easy for you, and by the way i 'll take that moment to remind you forwarding that link to people who need this advice maybe as much or more than you do is also a good tip now Richard, uh, in your book, uh, before we jump in these other concepts you you share a logical way to do budgeting it 's not quite as scary as uh, writing down what your income uh, sources are and writing down all the things you 've got some some uh, kind of easier tips to, to make it less. Scary. Share share that with us.
2: Well, the first thing is to look at a budget as not a formal budgeting process where you have to create a spreadsheet and you have to track it on the computer. Mm -hmm. Just look at it as an allocation issue, not a budgeting issue. Uh, Now, you can computerize it. And in the book, we actually have some tools to help you build a computerized spreadsheet. But to get started, take three envelopes. Now, each week, in the first envelope, You put one fourth of your monthly allocation of rent, utilities, and all your other monthly required payments. So at the end of the month, you'll have the money to meet these bills on time and without a penalty. And the second envelope, each week, place an amount of money for the weekly needs, such as food, gas, parking. And if you run out of money before the end of the week, you know that you're overspending, and you can adjust that amount that goes into that envelope the next week, or you can adjust your spending because you now have immediate feedback every week as to whether or not you're on track. Now, any money left over after you fill filled the first envelope and the second envelope goes into a third envelope. What that third envelope represents is your discretionary spending. So from this envelope, you can save, you can spend a portion, or you can set it aside for a priority such as a vacation or Christmas gifts for relatives or down payment for a new car. Now, if you run short in envelope one or two, you have to take it out of envelope three, which reduces your discretionary spending. And now you see the link between your required expenses, your discretionary expenses, and what you're spending every week in regular daily living expenses. Once you do that, then you start seeing that feedback mechanism. You start seeing your patterns of spending. Knowledge is, is truly the the uh, source of, of all inspiration. So you're going to be inspired to keep on track of your own personal goals. So this approach, you know, it, it works. It works. It's easy. It um, gives immediate feedback. It eliminates the blame because you can't blame anybody else for what you put in the envelope. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to correct any time you get off the path immediately. And if you can't figure out how to get back on track, then you know it's time for you to get assistance from a trusted advisor because you know there's something about what you understand that's missing.
1: Okay, very you know again very logical seems and, and I just thought back to a comment during our financial literacy series and I'm trying to think of the guy's name Mirtha I think he is he happens to be based in the Scottsdale area has a has a uh, uh, software that helps families kind of work together and set up projects and, and things like that great show, but he mentioned a comment that that adds to your earlier comment about how parents are not getting that message across to their kids and that's you know part of the reasons people get into problems but technology is really complicated this thing if we go one step kind of where we are almost entering today where people start paying things out of their phone uh, that would mean you need to have those buckets set up in your phone otherwise you're going to have spent the money you never got in your envelopes so the technology is, is sometimes complicating this whole concept uh, you, so dealing with cash was easier and all of a sudden the technology makes things so murky uh, of course credit cards uh, have added to it along the way but but it, you know it really does make these things a little more
2: difficult. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. And that's the key concept that people miss. They mm-hmm. think that because they can do it, they should do it. It's new, it's exciting, it's the latest craze, so it must be the right thing to do. I don't recommend that. If someone is in financial crisis, they have to change what they're doing they're probably already involved in those easy pay plans. They're probably already involved with swiping their iPhone at the, at the point of sale and not mm-hmm. understanding how much money they just spent. Uh, did, they, did they really spend $2 and $2.50 on a cup of coffee? Or do they spend $7 on a cup of coffee? And how much money do they really have left? They never, they never look. So I tell people to ig- ignore all that, reject all of that, and go back to the basics. Once you have a handle on the basics, then you can start introducing these new other forms of payment, these other ways of doing what you know is the right thing. If you don't know what the right thing is, these other paths can lead you away from your goals.
1: Great tip. Great tip. And one of the things we focus so far really on individuals and the concept you talk about. As you're, you 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 know you move on through life and you get married, that adds a complication. All of a sudden now, uh, there may be different goals of the of the spouses.
2: Uh, what
1: what do you do in that case? Does each have its own budget? And what are some of the tips you share there?
2: Well, as I said before, uh, you have to recognize that when you get married, your focus shifts from to the family as your first priority, not the individual members of the family. No one person in the family is more important than another person, but some individuals may require more resources at one time or another. So, for example, if you have a sick child, obviously they uh, require medical attention, and that can be expensive. So, um, you know, there are times when one family member requires more of the resources of the family, but no one is more important than the family. It's the family that's important. So then the next thing is that each person in the family is an individual with unique needs. You have to be able to allow them to express their individuality. So everybody has a right to be an individual within the family, goal, within the family structure as long as it doesn't affect the family in a negative way. So, for example, one child may want to join the scouts. Another child may want to learn to dance. A wife may want to buy jewelry. A husband may want to go fishing. There's nothing wrong with that. And the path has to accommodate the needs of the individuals as long as it doesn't negatively impact the family and the family goals. So the family uh, needs to set the priorities, and you do that by having the the, the two parents or the two adults in the family list on a sheet of paper their goals for the family. They list it individually. And then once they are finished, then they bring the two lists together. So one person may say they want to buy a house. Another person may say they want to go on vacation. another person, The first person may say they want to join a tennis club for the whole family. Whatever it is that they want, they should write it on a sheet of paper because this is the, this is the starting point for their mutual communication and their mutual goal setting. Once they have it on a sheet of paper, they bring the two sheets of paper together and they compare the items on both lists. If there's an item on both lists, that becomes a family priority. If there's an item only on one list, then they need to talk about it. And if it doesn't appear on both lists, so the person that didn't have it on their list doesn't add it to their list, then that is not a priority of the family, and that should not be a source of resource constraint or resource allocation because that's not what the family agreed to. So once you have this full commitment of both parties, then the children will fall in line with the goals of the family, and that's part of parenting. And so now the family will work together toward the common goals. And when children want something that there are no resources for, they will understand that it has by buying whatever it is that they want, a, a new video game or new TV or whatever it is, that that takes away from the family goals, and they already know what the family goals are because they've been clearly identified by the parents through this marking system. Wow, so I a like matter, that. Yeah, so, uh, and this can change. This can change over time. Anytime there's a significant change in the family, you can reset the priorities. It's over time, when there's a new addition to the family, when there's a significant change in, in uh, careers or jobs. It, it has to be flexible. And uh, along with that, everyone um, gets an allowance. Each person in the family gets an allowance, and it's age-appropriate allowance. And with that allowance, that's how the individuals can achieve their own unique needs. So if you have the, the wife has a certain amount of money, the husband has a certain amount of money every week, they can spend it any way they want. It does not, and it's an amount of money that is not going to negatively impact the achievement of the family goals. So even if they spend all of that money every week, it doesn't have a negative impact on the lifestyle and they feel like they're in control of achieving those things that are important to them uniquely.
1: All right, now so the only thing you've hurt my argument here of, you know, everybody's equal in my family, but I've always uh, shared that I'm a little bit more equal than everybody else, so I think you're <laughs> um, you're kind of weakening my argument there. Uh, I don't know if that edit the show for my wife's purposes now. <laughs> But, uh, okay, no, very, very logical advice. I, I, I like that. Uh, and it, it's kind of a segue to the other thing I was going to ask about a little bit. Uh, kids, you mentioned kids can learn when they're when they're pretty early, but I think you just gave a suggestion of what we did wrong, or our parents did wrong in many cases, maybe even in raising their own kids, where in the store they had these impulse purchases and started screaming and those kinds of things, and the answer was, well, we can't afford that. Uh, that wasn't necessarily the best approach. It would have been much easier to say, hey, do you remember the priorities we set, what is that on the list? And, right. you know, well well done. Uh, so it's much harder for a kid to get emotionally involved and they have to go back and think, what was on that list? Oh, gee, what did I have <laughs> you know, what, was, what were some of those things? And then, you know, it gets them involved in the process uh, by doing that. But, you know, when, when is the timing? Is it is it okay to, to get kids involved even at that early stage when they're crying in the store at four years old?
2: It is amazing how much authority a written piece of paper has. And so even children that cannot read can understand that it's on the list, and mm-hmm. the list is what we're all working toward. When you take it away from the parents, your mother said no, your father said no, when you right. take the individuals away from it and you focus everyone on the goal, then everyone is empowered to contribute. They're not, uh, they're not um, um, uh, looking at it as a negative thing. They're not constrained by the list. They're empowered by the list. And so even children that are very young, um, probably not under five, but even under five, they need to set some parameters of when they're going to eat, when they're going to have a snack, when they go to bed, when they have to get up, when they have to bathe. So we all live within boundaries, within structure. That's not necessarily rules, not constraints. It's structure and the setting of the priorities the setting of the goals is an extension of the structure that the family wants to achieve
1: i like that I, again well said i'll just you know leave it at that uh let me let me go to another uh, piece, though, which is, you know, all said, you know, all, all good. We're working on our budget, or better said, our priorities, and we're working toward that. But now something external comes in, you know, a friend or a family member who now needs some money because they're having a personal crisis. Uh, what are some bits of advice you can share with us in those cases?
2: First thing you have to remember is that this is an emotional issue, not a rational dis- issue. If it was rational, really is to say, I'm not a bank. I don't, I'm not in the business of lending money. So if it was a purely rational issue, all you would do is make that one statement and the whole issue would go away and everybody would be fa- uh, family and friends again. This is purely an emotional issue. And so you have to decide up front in advance before anyone ever approaches you about money how you're going to handle it and how are you going to be consistent in your handling of requests from others to uh, take your resources away. And what I suggest is that when someone comes to you looking for assistance, you have to decide whether or not you want to give them a gift of whatever it is that they're asking mm-hmm. or not. You should never make a loan. If you can't justify in your own mind that it's time for some philanthropy, for some social sharing for uh, just family assistance, if, if that is not appropriate from where you stand today, then you should not lend them money. If you give them money, you should not ever expect to be repaid. And if you give them money and they continue to come back asking for more and more money, then they're not really truly trying to fix their problems. They're just trying to make you responsible for their happiness, and that's not appropriate, and, that, and you'll see that. After the first gift, if they continue to come back, they're making you responsible for their happiness. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. So when someone comes to you for a loan, you can say, I, you can make the statement, I'm not a bank and I don't give out money. Or you can say, I'm sorry, my money has already been allocated. I don't have money to lend. My money has already been allocated. You don't have to say it's spent, you don't have to say it's tied up. You don't certainly don't have to lie. I don't ever uh, suggest that people lie because you'll get caught in a lie and just makes the whole situation uh, worse. But um, you have to you have to make sure that you understand what you're going to do before it ever happens, uh, so that you're prepared and you put it in a very objective tone. Now, if they get mad at you, or if the family gets mad at you because you're just not very charitable or you're just not very understanding, well, that means that they don't have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And that tells you that they are not supporting you on your path, and they're asking you to give up your resources to someone who already cannot manage their resources. That's where they're coming to you for help. And so how are you helping them by giving up your resources, making you less financially stable and giving them money without giving them the tools to manage that money. And it's not your job to teach your friends how to manage their money before they're ready to accept those kinds of statements. You Changes. can't make someone change.
1: Well, well said, and I would add a tip here, and if it's not in your book, then next time there's a revised print you should include it, which is uh, why not share a copy of this book with them. Uh, it, uh, you know, a gift of, of uh, twenty dollars or whatever the uh, current cost of the book is, uh, could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars if they start to implement it and just uh, and share with them that hey, you're using these these concepts and they're they're helping you reach the point of of uh, being you know able to get ahead. You've allocated your money according to this and you know use this book and you won't need to be asking others for for help. So, I would include that in there.
2: Well, remember, there were two target markets for the book. One one target market was the people in financial crisis. The other was for people who needed a different message to help people that they knew who were in financial crisis. Good point.
1: Good point, but again, here's another lesson that uh, people who are doing uh, perfectly well, thank you very much, uh, can, can you know, get an idea from the book uh, that just uh, that's a good way to, to uh, deal with those kinds of family help issues. but the more you have, the more people want, uh, and we won't get into the lottery winners as perfect examples. But let's remind our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about you, uh, learn about your CPA and business consulting practices. Share that website again and uh, your email address, if you wouldn't mind.
2: Okay. And the website is ramcpa.com, ram, and my email address is richard at ramcpa.com. My books are available on Amazon and Kindle, and the name of the book is You Can Afford the Good Life.
1: With an em- emphasis on the can. Now, Richard, we've covered a and lot if they, of – I'm
2: sorry, go ahead. And if they want to see uh, some snippets about the book, they can go mm-hmm. on YouTube – and they can search for my name, Richard Melanson, that's Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, Melanson, Amazon Mary, E-L-A-N as in Nancy, C-O-N as in Nancy, Good Life, Richard Melanson, Good Life. And you'll see about seven to ten snippets of uh, information about the book.
1: Huh. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. But of course, then I wouldn't have uh, had to ask some of these questions. I would assume everybody knew some of those answers. So I'm glad I didn't know that. But good, good, good tip. Now we've covered a lot of aspects of afford the good life today. Are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize? Because obviously we've we've you know, uh, get built on what we said at the very beginning. Are there some
2: areas that maybe we didn't cover? Well, living the good life means five truths. The first one okay. is that no one can have all they want. The second one is that you can have all the material goods that you need and you can have all the priority items that you truly desire. The third one is living the good life means that you gain happiness by achieving the targets that you set as your priority goals. Mm -hmm. And the fourth one is that every day presents its own unique opportunities for us to accept or reject. Choose wisely and success will follow. And the fifth one is that wealth and prosperity is measured in achievement not material goods. And if your audience doesn't remember anything but this last message, this is the most important message of the whole book. When you don't control your money, others control your happiness.
1: Boy. Very well said. Glad glad we added that. That would have been uh, you know a, a major loss to have missed that piece of it. But uh, very good. Appreciate you having on the, having the show, Richard, making the time to be here, and uh, very clearly outlining some tips that uh, all of us in the game front, not just the people who are struggling.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Ron. Uh, I Had a great time, and I hope your listeners uh, uh, receive something of value from our time together. And again, um, uh, if they're they are welcome to visit my website www.ramcpa.com to hear about or see about uh, all of the other services that we offer.
1: Excellent. Thank you for being here, Richard. Thank you.
2: All right, Ron. Thank you.
1: Now, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned we'd go back to the starting point. What you have to do to start investing, building your wealth, and being able to afford the good life. If you're already living the good life, you certainly see how critical the suggestions Richard shared are and how you've mastered them to be where you are today. And at the same time, you've probably picked up some good tips to help others as well. If, on the other hand, you're struggling to get out of the rat race where the dollars you earn are used to pay for last month's expenses, I can assure you that reading Richard's book, You Can Afford the Good Life, and implementing the steps you get to the point of being able to invest and build your wealth for the future. Since I have a couple of interviews scheduled today and tomorrow, I thought I'd share some advice that I'll mention during those interviews. We're all born eagles, since God doesn't make junk. But most of us grow up around chickens, and we start to act and be like those chickens. While we scratch around for corn, we look up and see the eagles soaring and envy them or marvel at the heights they achieve, and yet we all have the ability to soar like the best of the eagles. We are all born eagles. Sometimes we just need a book to help us get on the right path and teach us to fly again. And I think that's the way I'd use uh, you know, that analogy of you can't afford the good life as uh, a book to get us to learn to fly again. Now, if you're a new listener, if you didn't pick up on today, or today's show is directly related to the D in the Wealth DNA framework. If you have the true desire to be wealthy, you will be. If you don't have the true desire, the determination, and the dedication to achieving that goal, you won't. You might want to re-listen to the show we did on December twenty fourth, two thousand and twelve, on that very topic, the D in wealth, DNA. Now, Richard Melanson shared it with us today. Having the good life in the future means making some sacrifices, or let's say, reprioritizing giving up some of your wants today and personally and he touched on this very well i find turning off the tv and not trying to keep up with the joneses makes it much easier just because someone on tv or a friend buys the latest fashions doesn't mean i need to they're just not a priority for me so often on the show i remind our listeners that reading books on the many topics we cover is far better way to learn and grow than sit around and watch tv now i'm not saying there aren't some useful television shows, but they're so few and far between. Reading any of these books, and many of them will be even better, uh, is far more valuable than the few useful television shows. If you're not able to invest yet, then pick up a copy of You Can't Afford the Good Life, as well as a copy of The Richest Man in Babylon, another great book. Very easy to read, and you may find the payback on those two books is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, I certainly hope you enjoyed and saw value in the two quotes I shared at the beginning of the show. The first being, I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford, then I want to move in with them. Phyllis Diller. The second, a budget tells us what we can't afford, but it doesn't keep us from buying it. William Feather, and he probably didn't even know all about credit cards and iPhone uh, paying off a click or some app. Regular listeners know that our objectives on this uh, wealth DNA radio show is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building wealth, and we want to make sure everyone gets started investing. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires, and it's impossible for someone to be in that group if they're not able to save and invest. Now, if you missed part of today's show or you want to recommend it to some friends, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version, and, of course, you can find the full list of past shows there, wealthdna.us. We'd like to again thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area for helping us put together this show. They help many people who struggle financially to own a home. The next Wealth DNA Radio show is the fourth Monday of June. That's Monday, June 22nd, 9 a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. Since I'll be traveling a great deal in the next month, we'll be replaying two shows that had a big impact on helping our listeners expand their portfolios, The Wise Use of OPM. And as Richard said, there are forms of good debt. We also have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us. And there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some comments or questions, you haven't received my emails reminding this show, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us, or follow TheRonald, all one word, on Facebook and Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, every one of you.
0: You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com.